Hey, we're in our series at Life Church, Believe, Belong, Become. I know this message is going to help you understand not just the mission that God is calling us to do here at Life Church and through our four campuses in Leeds, Belfast, Bradford, and Warsaw, Poland, but all of us to discover why we are here and answer some of the greater questions that we face from time to time in our lives. So I hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back at the end to tell you more about the work of Life Church. This series is going to be called Believe, Belong, and Become. They're not necessarily in any order, but they have an origin that has gone back years, not just weeks, but years. And we've been on a search and a struggle and conversationally working together as a leadership team to find words to articulate what God is doing in our life and what God is asking from us. And I'll never forget some years ago now, sitting down with some church leaders, and they had these really cool mission statements. And they said to me, Steve, well, what's the mission statement for Life Church? And I'm like, uh, I would just love Jesus, right? Love Jesus, serve Jesus, keep it simple. But, but as I began to interact, I found myself getting under pressure to try to come up with something like a slogan or something that, that would just like sum up what we are as Life Church. And, and I began this journey of thinking and examining and reading everything I could get my hands on about understanding mission. I looked at the corporate sector. I looked in the business world. I looked at all the different things that, and the companies and the places I've worked over the course of my life to try to understand this whole concept of mission and vision. And you know what? I found so much confusion, so much contradiction that people would define what mission is and somebody else would disagree with someone else. And, and then I began to look at some of the different corporate slogans and marketing geniuses in the world today, and I began to think about some of the things that they use, and I learned this. It's easier to copy someone else's mission than it is to hear from your creator about what God is asking you to do. It's easier to compare yourself with what other people are already doing than it is to find the confidence and boldness to search God and say, God, I know you called me. Little old me, it's easy to discredit yourself thinking, oh, well, someone else will do this. And so I went on a journey, and one of the first things I learned about copying and, and listening was I looked at one of these statements, and this is by Coca-Cola. Listen to their mission statement. It's ridiculous. And if you have time, surf up their website. It looks so cool. I mean, they've got this amazing interactive mission statement, and it's it's combined with all those great commercials that you've probably grown up watching over your life. And this is their statement that they would define as their mission statement. Coca-Cola refreshes the world in mind and body and spirit. I'm like, what? I mean, who is drinking this stuff? I must admit, I enjoy a Coca-Cola or a Diet Coke, but... I never feel like it's refreshing the world. I mean, it's like John 3.16, Coca-Cola is to refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, it's just a product. But the way they have packaged this, and then it goes on to say, Coca-Cola will inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brand and actions throughout the world. I'm like, okay, that's pretty full on, isn't it? We could just put Jesus in there in Life Church, and it would sort of work, but that's, that's copying. And then I look at some of the great movements today across the earth. One of them is 
uh, a mission movement called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. It's been running for many, many years. And their mission statement is simply this, to know God and make him known. Beautiful mission statement, very articulate and very clear. And so together, Charlotte and I and our leadership team, we begin to pray and think, in this part of the world, God, what makes us unique as a church? We begin to search God and ask those kinds of questions. Those are good questions to ask and to resist copying, but to hear from God based on your own experience in life. And I've realized that we're in a place in a season where we're discovering the joy of creating We were called to be adventurers. We were called to explore. We were called to discern and to to, to get out there and to have an adventurous life. Not just to just copy other people. No, that wouldn't be any fun. The fun is exploring God's grace for yourself and for your family. Not just letting the person next to you experience how great God is, but for you to experience how great God is. So this became a real passion to be able to find these creative words to pin together something that would bring unity to us. Because what I've realized is that unity isn't just important, it's vital. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Which means how bad and miserable it is when God's people live together in disunity. That's the antithetical statement of Psalm 133. I said, if you want to know what confusion's like, ask your family or ask your neighborhood, what's your favorite movie, what's your favorite restaurant, or what do you want to do this evening? You'll get all these different answers. And if we as a church say, well, what do we feel like doing today? We would go all over the charts as different people would have their opinion. But when you ask God, God, what's on your heart for us? God doesn't speak in ways that bring confusion. He speaks in ways that bring Peace and clarity. The enemy brings confusion. God brings peace. And so I've realized that when Psalm 133 talks about unity, it goes on to say at the end of that psalm, that the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore, in unity. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says that where there is no vision, people perish. And Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says that write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So we've written our vision down so that we can make clarity happen for each and every one of us. And this is what we are articulating as a mission statement. Now, I don't want to get into the different semantics between mission and vision, but let's just keep it really simple. Mission is memorable. Mission is memorable. It's short enough so that you can remember what the mission is. And so we want to help articulate this so everyone in Life Church on our four campuses and all the different cultures we're working in can understand what this is and what it means. So our mission is just simply this, to help as many people as possible to believe in Jesus, find belonging in God's house, and become all that they can be. How simple is that? And even with that simplicity, people are like, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that I can't become until I believe? Or I can't belong until I believe? No, I'm not saying that at all. What we're saying is that some people believe so that they can become before they find belonging. And we're cool with that. We're cool with wherever people are at on the journey. Because what we're saying is that we will do whatever it takes to help people find belief in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Why would we offend people who are not yet in the same understanding level of us about believing 
at their early on journey of accepting Jesus. We should allow people to involve before they even think about altering behavior. We should allow people to plug into our church and find out how great God is before they feel condemned. You know, this is so important in our world today. Our world today that wants everybody to focus on diversity without understanding what that means. Today we have people all over the world in different cultures that have different skin colors who hate each other. And they don't understand that Jesus died for every single type of individual in the world today. Even people with the same skin color who have deep disagreements and dysfunction, Jesus died for them too. And I realized many years ago that Jesus' blood, we all have the blood that's the same color. We have different blood types, but all of our blood is the same color. And the blood of Jesus Christ makes us all united. We all sinned. We all fell short of the glory of God. We all need the grace and love of Jesus Christ in our life. And so Jesus' blood takes care of all the different kinds of diversity. And so we want to understand God's mission statement for areas that we've not even begun to work in yet. Because we're not talking about diversity and saying to people, if you speak a different language or look different than me, you can't find belonging. No. God forbid that we would ever be a church that would do that. If you look different than some of our other leaders that are in the house, if you look different than others in the church, we want you to bring your difference into life, church, and all the people who look like you, and you bring them, and let's all find forgiveness and grace together as the family of God. That's our mission to be able to do that in all of our different settings. And so it's very important that we understand that. Let us never be a church that discriminates or hates others because they look differently or because they think differently or they act differently. Because guess what? Without the blood of Jesus Christ, we too would be forever separated from God himself. And so as we start to talk about this, as we start to unpack this, what this word believing is, I want to anchor it in the truth of God's word by taking us to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. And of course, I'm going to anchor a series about believing in Romans. What an awesome book this is. And Romans chapter 10, verse 14, the words are going to come up behind me on the screen. And they say this, how can people call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the person, the one, that they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are first sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Bringing good news brings beauty to your life. Bringing good news makes sense of everything else. I, I must admit, I'm not a foot person. I must admit, I mean, I don't really, don't ask me to rub your feet. I don't really enjoy that. I've learned after 20, 20, 22 years of marriage now, I want to say I'm the best foot rubber of any man that's in this room right now. Am I right, Charlotte? She's busted me out again, my wife. Thank God for Yorkshire women. They always tell the truth. Come on, somebody. The minute somebody says, rub my feet, I just find a reason to leave the room. I'm like, I'd rather do the dishes. I'd rather clean up. I'd rather vacuum a Hoover or clean anything else. But you start, oh, I mean, uh, forgive me. That's just how I'm wired. 
But I've learned that what makes someone's feet beautiful is not their feet themselves. It's who they are as a person. It's what they carry as a person. And I've learned to be able to endure moments of what I would call discomfort for the greater understanding of what that person is carrying. So yes, now I am a redeemed foot rubber. Yes, I am. Because I understand the importance not of the foot, but of what the foot is connected to. If we understand as God's people that God has taken apart and he has ordained his people to be the mouthpiece to the world, to declare and explain and demonstrate his goodness, and he has restrained himself so that he will work through you and I, oh my gosh, I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God restrained himself through using our voices and our lives and our challenges and our imperfections to show his glory, but that's what God decided to do. And so when we start to understand this in the book of Romans, we start to understand that God is asking us to step up in a way that would cause people to believe in the goodness of God by demonstrating the goodness. And I've had the joy of being a first-generation Christian, of talking to people in my family who did not know Jesus, who said they would never in a million years accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And I had to figure out how can I demonstrate how good God is. You know, it's like... When God shows you his goodness, you hear about it. It just, it's enveloped me. When I understood how good God was, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 years old. And, and I began this journey. How, how can I communicate how good God is and no one else around me was a Christian? So, so how do I even begin? How do I even begin? I have two sisters, my mom and my father and my immediate uncles and aunts and all the different relatives we did life with. I was the first one to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so I had to pray, okay, God, you have to help me find words. You have to help me find words to communicate how great you truly are. And so I really felt challenged by God. Well, Steve, if you want to find words to tell people how great I am, why don't you just go outside, walk to the bus stop, sit down on the bench, and just go on and start a conversation with someone. And I'm like, no way. There is no way I'm going to do that. God's word is so practical. You know, we can hear messages like this, and we can think of other people who should be out demonstrating the goodness of God to others, but the truth is, God's chosen you. Yeah, right. He's chosen you, and he's chosen me. The person that's best equipped to reach your world, your family, your friends, your work colleagues, is you. And some of us, we're working in Christian environments, and we're surrounded by Christians, and so we think that's our whole world, that's complete Well. Listen, we're just beginning to expand our world. What about the people you buy shopping from or the bank teller you go to or the, the utility company you're working with at the moment or the people you see? It's like we all have a world out there beyond our immediate circle. So if you're a second generation Christian, I guarantee the need for God that you're going to find is courage. Courage to start a conversation about good news. So you might think, well, everybody in my family is already saved. Listen, the same courage it takes to start a conversation with someone else that you don't know is the same courage you need to understand to commit to, to bring that good news. So for me, I went to that little place 
in a place called University City. And I found the bus stop and I sat on the bench and I prayed for courage. And what did God do? God sent someone to sit next to me. And I, I was like, I don't even know how to start a conversation. I didn't even say hello. I sat there for 10 minutes. The bus came. The person got on the bus and they left. And I never even said a word. I felt so convicted. I felt like such a failure. I was like, I'm going to go home now and God's going to, oh, I was like, I don't, even know, I don't even know how to process this. So what I decided to do was to sit there until I could find the courage to just find words to tell someone about that good news. And here's what many of us want to do. We want to leave conversations. We want to leave difficult conversations. We don't want to stay on that bench and stay in that place of keeping the conversation open. And I did. I sat there. The next person comes. I still didn't have the courage. That person got on the bus before I even said a word. I was sitting there for about three hours. Finally, I had the courage to introduce myself to someone that was sitting next to me on that bench. And to my amazement, once the little introductions were over, we chatted for about five minutes. And, and we were able to just start a conversation about the more important things of life. And it wasn't long before I was able to talk about the God I had just given my life to, Jesus that died for me. And to explain the God gap that, that we all need Jesus in our life. None of us are perfect. None of us without Jesus dying for us are going to go to heaven. And, that, you know, that suddenly it's like all of time stopped for those few moments. And I felt like I had plugged into a principle for the rest of my life. A principle that it's not always going to be easy to start conversations so just stay in a place, stay seated at that bench, refuse to get up until you can get that conversation to the next level. That's what Romans chapter 10 is all about. It says in Romans 10 verse 9, it says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Not you might be saved, you will be saved. And I learned that by sitting on the bench that day, that day, by the end of that day, not one person had given their lives to Jesus Christ by the end of that day. That wasn't the point. The point was I had started bringing the good news. That was the principle and that was the point. I stayed on the bench. Little did I know what God was going to do next. What God was going to do next is that when I began to tell my own family, my father, I said to my dad, Dad, I've become a Christian. Guess what? He didn't want to hear any more about Jesus. He didn't want to talk about it. He refused to have conversations about it for a year, two years, three years, ten years. And then, of course, I had the joy 30 or so years after I started the conversation with my dad, I stayed on the bench and he gave his life to Jesus, accepted Jesus at age 72 because of the principle of staying on the bench. Both my sisters, Carmen and Lori, have now also accepted Jesus. And I've had the privilege of praying with my little sister, praying with my big sister to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Two children. And I'm like, I'm not saying this to say how, how great I am. I want to let you know I have failed again and again. I've said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I've had these conversations and I've gone to bed at night and think, if I just would have said what I'm remembering now, four hours earlier, I wonder if I could unwrite what just happened next. The confusion, the heartbreak. But God in his infinite grace, he allows us to stay on the bench and keeping having conversations as long as we have this one element working in our lives. 
And this one element is compassion. Compassion is so key for everything we need. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. The smartest, the brightest, the most educated people today in society, they know so much about academic issues or they'll know so much about business-related issues. But we all go through heartache, challenge, and difficult experiences. And there's no way of understanding except by understanding how great God loves us to make sense of a broken, fallen world. And so I've learned to stay on the bench. And Life Church, we're staying in this zone, this first part of the mission statement of believing, to simply help as many people as possible to believe in Jesus Christ. And then we've gone on to expand our mission with five statements. We're calling them vision statements. Vision statements are not as memorable, they're not as short, but they unpack the mission. And if I unpack the mission a little bit more by reading our first vision statement, it simply says this. The vision of our house, Life Church, and all of its campuses is to do whatever it takes. Boom, that's it. That's it. That's a blank check. What do we need to do, God? Build a skate park? Cool, we're in. <laughs> Let's build a skate park to reach skaters for Jesus. What's it going to take to reach more people? And I won't even begin to describe some of the things yet that, that God is awakening in our heart. We want to have a blank check, though. Whatever it takes, uncharted, unwritten, undeveloped, undiscovered, whatever it takes for our future, we want to have this place of being able to empower people that are incredibly diverse, God's people. As they come to know Jesus, they bring their skills and talents in the house. Whatever God's people can imagine is what we want to empower so that more people can come to know Jesus. That vision statement should be expandable. It should encompass the people in prison. It should encompass the homeless and the broken and the needy. It should encompass not only the needy, but the very wealthy as well. People who don't think about coming to church today. It's so important that we will do whatever it takes. And then it goes on to say this in our vision statement. That we would help people build their lives upon the truth of God's word. To create a home where all feel welcome, included, and find a place to belong. How does that vision statement sit with you people? Good. You with me? We together on this. Believing. So important. And I've realized this, that maybe you were like me and early on in my life, I had a favorite uncle. My favorite uncle was always the one I wanted to spend time with because he believed in me. He believed that I could do what I was scared to even talk to my own parents about. He was called Danny. Great, great, fun-loving guy. He was the first one to jump in the swimming pool and swim with me and first one to play games and sports and the first one to sit down and talk to me. He always believed in me, sent me letters, wrote to me, just always stayed in touch with me. It's like believing. Who are the people that believe in you? Because we all have someone that believes in us. But when I talk about believing, I'm not talking about making God like my uncle. Don't reduce God to be like your favorite auntie or your parent or your spouse because God's believing is so much more dynamic than a person could believe in you. When God believes in you, it's like, come on. It's like, come on, we're going to do something now, somebody. It's like the shirt comes off. It's like we're moving now because God our Father and all of his infinite 
power gets behind us in a way that we could never imagine. When God's power gets behind you, it's not like my uncle. My uncle's wealth is limited. My uncle's resources were limited. His encouragement was limited. His capacity was limited by time and space. But your Father God, he's unlimited in his capacity. He's unlimited and he's not defined by time and space. He's outside of the universe. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has a higher way of thinking than you or I think. He's like, this adversity, this challenge, this difficulty you're facing, he's like, oh, no, I have the capacity to change that situation. He is God eternal. He is our magnificent Father. There is no one else like him. He is unmatchable in his grace. So when I'm talking about whatever it takes, some of us are like, well, you know, I've never gone through a good old sin. Some of you. And if you haven't gone through a good old sin and rebelled against God and had a season when you're doing drugs, hey, guess what? Ha, ha, it's too late. You know, God, now you can't walk away in that situation now. you got to stay in the house of God and realize it's even greater to not have gone through the brokenness, the destitution, the drug abuse. The, it's even greater to stay in a place where your innocence has not been violated. Oh, but I know there's some people here and you understand what it means to be forgiven. Because like me, you were forgiven of a whole lot of stuff. And when you're forgiven, you get passionate about rolling up your sleeves and identifying with statements like, you will do whatever it takes to help people find Jesus. Let me unpack this a little bit more by just telling you a story. I don't really have time to go any further, but... Let me tell you this, I was in a difficult place in England. I think everybody says they live in a difficult place. You hear this? It's a difficult place to build church, difficult place to reach people, difficult place to build. And I'm like, yeah, 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 where are you doing church? And the guy says to me, I'm building church in Dewsbury. And I'm like, yeah, Dewsbury, that's a really tough place. My wife was born in Dewsbury. That's how I know it was a tough place. It's not too far from here in West Yorkshire. And I remember going there and I'm thinking, how many times have you said this is a difficult place to build church and do church? And I realized that this leader, I love him very much, he's a great man of God, but, but we can allow our circumstances to, to, to limit what God can do in a location or in a particular place. And I'm like, no, I think God's goodness shines even brighter in difficult places. <laughs> I think the darker the place, the more the good news just shows up just from showing up. And so I said, come on, let's go and let's get some people together. Let's just go out to the city there and the town center and let's just see what happens. And we went up there about 11 o'clock in the morning. We prayed together before that. And we just went out there and off of a bus walks a young adult. He's in his early 20s. And he'd obviously been up partying all night long. He still reeked of alcohol. And he was on some kind of drug. And, you know, he came off the bus. He was just wired. He was wired. He'd been in an all-night rave. And... You know, I, I introduced myself to him because I'd found that courage to start these conversations. I said, my name's Steve. He said, he said well, my name's Darren. And we, we started talking. He's like, well, why are you here? And, and I said, well, I'm here because, and I began to talk about why I'm here. I don't mean just like why am I in Dewsbury this day, but I'm on the planet to help people find Jesus. Right. And we started this conversation and tears began to 
come in his face and he was incredibly sober. Very, very clear in his thinking. Even though he'd had this partying thing going on. And he had clarity, a moment of clarity. When he realized there was nothing he could do to get to heaven. Nothing he could do. No drug he could take. No relationship he could have. No place he could go. He could not buy what I was now explaining to him. You can have eternal life because of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And with tears running down his face right there that day. Darren accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Amazing. And then Darren came. He came with me. He came with me where I was working and leading and youth. And he fell in love. And he married this Christian girl and built his life together. And then reached other people in his world. Reached other people with how great God is. Through his life changing, he then reached other people for Jesus. And all I had to do was start a conversation and risk being courageous enough to just be open enough to talk about some of my pain, some of my challenges, some of my difficulties. And as I began to talk about my pain and my challenges, some of the things that, that I have been through, it resonated with Darren. And that day, we became friends. We became friends not because we were from the same part of the world. Not because we had been this, you know, from the same background and culture, but because... We realized as he prayed and accepted Jesus, we were brothers. We were going to the same location. We had the same God, our Father God. And I thought about Darren. I thought about other people that I've talked to, people I've forgotten about, that I've not thought of in a long time, people I've shared Jesus with. And I've realized that if we're on a mission together, if we all go in the same direction together, that we'll be able to do so much more good. So much more good. And as I began to pray and think about you and our season of Life Church, God gave me a very clear picture. And it was of God being like a conductor, because recently I was trying to catch a train and I missed my train by one minute. That train, it didn't wait for me, it just took off from the station. And I saw God being like this conductor, pointing away, saying, Come on, everyone, let's all. Go this direction together. I saw him wave his arms. Come on, let's all go this direction together. Come on, let's all get on the bus of doing whatever it takes. Doing whatever it takes to bring the good news of Jesus to our generation. I saw God doing this. We're all coming together. All getting on this destination. We're all going to. I said to God, labor on this point until I begin to understand what God is doing. It's not just about getting all of Life Church on this journey together. No, no, no. But God wants the entire region. God wants the entire region to help everyone know how good He is. God is getting a lot of bad press, people. He's getting a lot of bad press for suffering and heartache in the world that He is not causing. And it's up for us, the Christians, the believers, to say, no, no, no. Let's understand, no, our God is a great God. He's a great Father. He's a loving God. Let's, let's help people like Darren. Let's help people that are on the journey of life to discover how great he is. Hey, thanks so much for watching, for being together today, for listening. And I just know if we stay together in this series, by the end of it, we're going to be so much more clear about what our mission is. So stay with us. I hope you can join back next week for the next part of this message. And if you get a moment to drop us an email, we would love to hear from you at hello at livechurchhome.com.